Welcome to the 30th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where a sadistic, charismatic cult leader allows his followers to perish in a fiery death rather than just let them go. Fair warning, our show can be extremely horrifying and graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes we'll make jokes and laugh during our podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and please give us a five-star rating. While you're there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash itwasn'tmepod. We appreciate our patron supporters more than we can express with words. Thank you so very much. Hey, Mercedes, how are you doing? Well, I'm good, Cindy. Welcome to take two of episode 30. (laughs) Yes. Oops. Uh, Yeah. So uh, we had a little snafu with our first recording of this episode, which is no big deal. Um, But we're not in our pod room. We're in my, uh, I don't even know what we call this room. Just kind of like... Dining room? It's it's more like the living room, but we have my kitchen table in here. It's just very odd. But um, so hopefully we won't have, you know, dogs barking and people walking through and whatnot. Um, but if we do, hey, welcome to the family. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, did you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about, uh, you had some follow-up about David Koresh for episode 29. Yes. Um, I had mentioned on the last, our episode 29 like you said part two that I was that I found a, a podcast called end of days and it was the it was a guy from England from Britain and he was interviewing survivors and family members of people who were recruited to the branch dividends in England and and I mentioned they were all seventh-day Adventists you know so they knew kind of they were they targeted a certain demographic and the young lady that I mentioned that said you know, it's not like we just got caught, you know, people ask, how'd you get caught up in this cult? And, you know, it's not like something, it's just like, oh yeah, let's go join this cult. And she, she was the one who mentioned like, you know, the devil sends people who look like you, think like you, dress like you, in to infiltrate. And, um, you know, I found that really like just creepy and truthful and just, you know, you know, a little frightening. So, um, to follow up with that particular person, her sister is the one that actually went to Waco and she would get her on the phone and they were never really able to speak freely. They were always being listened to. So her sister started questioning her about certain things in their second language because they spoke Creole. And so she would, she asked her sister in Creole because no one at the compound spoke that, hey, I'm gonna ask you some questions. If yes is the answer, say no in English and vice versa. The answer is no, say yes. So she asked her sister if she had access to her passport and her sister said yes, meaning no. If they were free to leave at any time, why would they take the foreigner's passports? Correct. Again, just something else proving the people who were there were not necessarily free to leave at any time. I mean, and there was another interview um, with a family member of a survivor who 
packed up her kids in the middle of the night, dressed in all black, and had to escape out like the back 40 to um, avoid the armed guards that they had, you know, all over the place. There was armed guards, armed guards, the town people that they interviewed said there's armed guards at the gate, like the front gate of the compound. So this was not just some commune where it's willy-nilly you can come and go as you please right there were expectations of you if you were going to stay there with the celibacy and all of that um and another thing real quick is all of the even the books that i read um some of the websites they didn't really tell you this podcast told me exactly what kind of firepower they had at the compound also so they had 60 m16s 60 AK-47s, 30 AR-15s, several small handguns. They had grenades. They had over 120 rounds of ammunition. And just on February 28th, they fired over 10,000 rounds. Wow. And then, you know, I think I mentioned before about the 20 or so that were shot the day April 19th, FBI never fired any weapons that day. All the ballistic tests were ran. No one fired any bullets. Plus, it was on live television. And, you know, the one child was stabbed in the chest. You know, all of this information they want to put out there on Netflix and they want to put it out even on Hulu. They don't address all of the things that were really going on inside the compound. And... They kind of blow it off. Oh, that person was, you know, disgruntled. They didn't, they, you know, they felt they had a falling out with David Crush. So they're just. So to me, when you're talking about uh, underage girls being groomed and mm-hmm. being molested, that to me is enough to shut the whole thing down. Absolutely. Or at least get the children out of there. You know what? If these yes. adults choose to do that, that's fine. But. Yep, and they interviewed a lady who still considers herself a Davidian, and she just said, you know, they questioned her. Well, what about this was going on? And, you know, they just played off, oh, well, if it was God's command. Right, so they're justifying what he did. This is God's command. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, you really need to do your own research if you really want to know about... I feel like anybody who gets their information from like a Netflix documentary, I mean, yeah, there are some really good ones. Like, I've seen some really good ones on there. Right. But they're also going to have a bias to them so you don't get all your information from one source especially like a made-for-tv drama like Waco right right I mean it was you know you know and I see people they're saying oh what should I watch on Netflix and someone will suggest Waco and I'm like okay well when you watch that head on over to Hulu and then watch this truth and lies Waco because there are other stories and their stories of survivors who got out and dads who had to fight for custody for their kids. Right. You know, that sort of thing because the molestation was going on. Yeah. You know, there's way more to it. And I'm not, and I am not, you know, an expert, but I did do quite a bit of research. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I get a little, a little heated about it. You do. You're very passionate (laughs) about this whole David Crush thing, which I think is great. It pisses me off that some people are like, Fuck the government. You know, I know. I understand that. And I mean, you know, like they can argue the government infringed on rights and whatnot and and see it like that. But the fact that there are children in there being abused um, and that they were allowed to amass that much firepower. And you know me, I'm all about the second. We have laws to protect all of us. Mm -hmm. You can't be above the law. No. Anyway. 
Well, I mean, the murder that I'm going to discuss actually um, is not as exciting as that, but um, I still found it interesting nonetheless. It's still along the same lines as what we've been talking about the last few episodes with Michael Ryan and David Koresh. So, yeah, you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. All right. So this week, um, I want to introduce you to Antoinette McCoy. She was born June 25th, 1983, and was brought up in a God-fearing Pentecostal household in Washington, D.C., she was a very good girl. She went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. She she did Bible groups. She, I mean, she actually lived the word, you know. Right. She wasn't like one of those just Sunday religion, religious people. But. She wasn't a CEO. And what does that mean? <laughs> Christmas, Easter, and I forgot the other one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Christmas, Easter, and whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, she was, she was a good girl. Um, and she believed that God was always first. She knew that she wanted to grow up and get married and have um, a loving Christian husband with children. And she fell in love with a boy um, from high school named Pete Moses. And they they hung out in high school. They kind of dated, like, but didn't really date because she wasn't allowed to date. But he would walk her home from school every day, and they would have conversations. They would discuss the religious beliefs. He was also very religious. They would discuss her dreams, his dreams, her dreams, their goals, and they became very close. I have a question about Pentecostal. So I know in our area, uh-huh. what I envision for Pentecostal, so is, I mean, because she's a black woman, right? Yes. So is it the same... I mean, is it like a different um, sect or not sect, but just... It's the you know. greater Pentecostal that... Um, I do mention the name of the church. I don't really know much about Pentecostals except for, um, <laughs> I mean, not to hurt anyone's feelings, but I just think they're kind of odd. Well, you know, they, they don't cut their hair. The women don't cut their but, hair, the skirts. But that's not all of them because okay. I actually know of a few women that, like, wear hooker heels and all kinds of makeup and show okay. their cleavage. So I, I guess it's just different. Like a certain branch different of it? branches. Or, okay. So, I yeah, like I said, I think it really depends on the branch. Now, their branch was very um, conservative. She was um, good in school. She was had a lot of friends. She was not super popular, but she had some good friends. But she really fell for this boy. And she, even after he moved back to North Carolina, she continued to think about him. So that keep that in your mind because that um, about eight to ten years passed before they talked again oh okay but she he's always right there in her mind oh i wish i could find someone like that and they were so young i mean people change too people do change and then you know when you're that young you're you look at somebody with those um naive eyes and you don't see the faults this is true Uh uh-huh so I want to talk a little bit about the boy she fell for, Pete Moses. Um, Pete L. Moses Jr. was born in 1984, so he's about six months younger than she was. And he was also a God-fearing man. However, there were certain things in his life that she didn't know about him. Um, a couple of things. His father was an alcoholic and drug user. He did grow up in a, in a kind of a racist household where... Um, they talked about the white devil and they talked about, um, you know, the man holding them down. 
they talked about, you know, the end of times, which we're going to get to. When he was 10 years old, when Moses was 10 years old, he attempted suicide for the first time. Oh, my word. Right? Do we know why? Like, No, it never said why. Um, He entered the mental health system for the first time, and he was in the mental health system for the rest of, I mean, he's probably still in the mental health system, obviously. He was officially, he was committed a few times. Um, He was officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression before he was out of his teens. He had grandiose thoughts. He had strong anxieties, but he had a strong faith in God which led him to the black Hebrew Israelite movement. Now, this group, by the way, is uh, is listed as a radical hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League. It has been it has taken um, credit for a shooting or bombing at a synagogue in Jersey City, as well as some um, violent activity in the Miami-Dade area. I mean, I've heard of them, but I, I didn't know that. Yes. I mean... Wait, the only, what, the what only thing we, I know about them was that apparently Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston yes. were a part of them. or They weren't actually members of the church, but they did reach out to the black, um, black Hebrew Israelites because of their drug addiction. So they were trying to get clean at that time. And so they were um, following some of the tenets of this religion. Uh, well, then maybe they got a little too close and figured out that... This wasn't something they wanted to be a part of, maybe? It's possible. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. But I didn't realize that it was, like, you know, considered a hate group. Right. It's, like, one of the top ten. We have the Christian identity movement from the Michael Ryan and Gordon Call. And then we, now we have the opposite extreme, which is the Hebrew Israelites. Okay. Right. Um, now, the black Hebrew Israelites were founded in the late 1800s after emancipation. This movement was influenced by the South Pentecostal Holy, Holiness Movement. But the leader supposedly received revelations that America's emancipated slaves were actually God's chosen people. Now, this um, this story gets kind of wild. But, you know, when I when I look into it, a little bit when I think about it a little further I'm like hmm, okay I could see why some people would believe this because slaves were said you're a slave because you are inferior lesser in God's eyes you're inferior that's why you know the Bible says we can have slaves blah 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 so all their lives they've been told they're inferior and now here comes this movement saying no we're not inferior because basically the Hebrew Israelites believe that they are the true descendants of one of the ancient lost tribes of Israel, and they believe that these descendants were hunted down by continental Africans back in the day and sold slaves to America. So we're going to take these chosen people, we're going to hunt them down, we're going to hunt down their children and their great-grandchildren and their descendants, and we're going to sell them as slaves so they can't ever get back together again to form the tribe. Which is kind of like a huge conspiracy theory type Right? Yeah. So they, uh, extremists of these groups, rail against the white devils. They call for the deaths of all Jews, all gays, all lesbians. They brainwash their followers with fear tactics, which is much like the Christian identity. They, their enemies include whites, fraudulent Jews, like the bank, the bank conspiracy Jews that we talked about last few episodes. Think promiscuous black women should, um, should be put to death. They don't like abortionists, and they don't like continental Africans. So anyone who, any African from the continent are their enemies. You sold us off, 
You sold us off as slaves. They also believe in an impending race war, which is the same thing as Christian identity. Now, in the black Hebrew Israelites, they believe that they're going to decimate the enemies and take their their righteous spot in the world. Okay. So the race war is coming, according to them. And actually, I'll talk about it later, but one of the followers believed it was going to happen in 2012. Remember that Mayan calendar thing? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. It seems like that was just yesterday. I can't believe that was eight years ago. right? right? Pete. Moses really got into this church and the beliefs and he was a God-fearing man but he also believed that he was a lawyer he had grand- grandiose thoughts of you know here I am God is speaking through me um, I am the Lord of my household so what he did was he um, decided and he decided he's going to start gathering wives Oh. And that's part of this, you know. He's like he's got to go, he's got to create his own tribe. He's got to have all these children. And so in 2003 or 2004, he moved in with Levada Harris. And by the way, this woman was old enough to be his mother. She's at least I would say at least 20 years, 18 to 20 years older than him. And so they're basically he in his mind he was a member of the black Hebrew Israelites. I'm not then, sure if he was actually a member, or if he was just, you know, did research and was, and just got into this. I'm not sure, but he, he went with it. Right. So he, now he's like, yes. okay, somehow convinced himself that he is part he's, of this. He's, and he's the Lord. Yes. Right. Okay. All right. So it was also around this time that he and another male, and I'm not sure who that male was, but it was a juvenile. They were arrested on charges of sexual abuse of a 12 year old girl. Now, Moses pled guilty and got two years probation for this. He was easily enraged, right? I see you shaking your head, right? Yes. Two years probation. So I'm not sure if it was, you know, he's touching her. I'm not sure what what it was. But you would think that if you molested a 12-year-old girl, you'd get more than two years probation, right? You would think so. Uh And I'm trying to think, you know... At what time was this? I mean, if he was born in 84. This was in 2000s, early yeah, 2000s. So the laws had changed by then, and that's just very so, strange yeah, I'm not me. sure if it was like um, sexual penetration or maybe just touching or... Little lascivious acts. Right. I mean, Who knows? So, but it was both him and the juvenile. So I don't know if they were working together. You, know, you don't get information on that kind of right. thing. I wonder if he was placed on the sexual, sexual offender list. Offend- Ooh, that would be interesting to know because I did not check that. I did not check that. Now, Moses was easily enraged. Like, he was very, very um, uh, loud and angry. And he, I mean, people were really scared of him. And you know anything about bipolar? You know the moods of these people, mood swings. Yes. Are, are extreme, right? Mm-hmm. So he was easily enraged, and he could have become quite violent. In 2005, he was arrested for assaulting his mom, his brother, and his sister, all three of whom later dropped charges against him. And the state never picked that up. It just went away. But that is definitely on his record. And to the, like enabling him. Yes, like, but they were scared of him, and he's mentally ill. So what do you do? I mean, what do you do when you have... And who, this is also another debate, is, you know, whose responsibility is it to care for the mentally ill, to make sure that they're not a danger to society? Because he's doing this to his family, you know, what... Yeah, could, that's a whole different... Right, and he's into this religion that spouts hate and violence, so, you know, this... In 2006, he got another wife, LaRonda Smith. Now, I'm not sure if any of these were, like, legitimate marriages, okay. but he called them wives. 
They began making babies in 2006, and it was also at this time that his driver's license was revoked. So he's in and out of trouble with the law. He's got two wives now. Do we know why his license was revoked? It did not say. Probably just didn't pay a fine or something. I mean, it doesn't matter, but I was just wondering. Yeah, it could be. Um, He and the two women, then in 2007 or 2008, they moved to Colorado, and they lived there for about a year. Now, he was back and forth to Colorado. Like, they had family in um, North. His parents were in North Carolina. But he went back and forth to Colorado through the years. Now, when he got back to Colorado, he hooked up with Vanya Sisk. And he sh- he knew her also from North Carolina. They had met years ago. Okay. And kind of had, like, an on and off again relationship. She had just broken up with her baby daddy, Jamil Higginbotham. The love and passion brewed quickly between Moses and Vanya and they hooked up pretty quickly. She came to the Moses clan bringing her baby Jaden. Now Vanya known as V to friends and family had the same twisted religious views as Moses. She also may have had a little bit of um, mental illness. Now in one post on social media she wrote of an impending race war where only the righteous would prevail but friends and family just wrote her radical views off as the rantings of her youth. You know, young people are like, oh, yeah. Moses and his family decided to move back to Durham. And so V took her 22 caliber pistol and her baby, Jaden, with her. She did not contact the baby's father, Jamil Higginbotham, nor the child's grandparents or anyone else. As a matter of fact, she just disappeared without telling anyone where she was going. So and no one reported them missing? Well, you know, they tried to get in touch with her and they learned back and forth, but not until later. After they moved back to Durham, Moses acquired another wife who I'm going to talk about later. So at this point, he's got three wives, but that's not enough for him. Good grief. Okay. I can't imagine wanting to have more than one husband. Well, they don't have more than one husband. As a matter of no, fact, no, they share saying, one my, husband. No, no, I'm putting myself like if I had, I wouldn't want to have to deal with more than one person. Okay, but he's the Lord, all right? And he, what he says goes. Now, despite his women, his troubles with the law and his travels, he never forgot about that sweet girl that he used to walk home every day, Antoinette and McCoy. So in June of 2010, he sent her a message probably through Facebook, but who really knows? She quickly fell for him. She remembered how awesome this boy was. She loved him. He was still strongly faithful. And that's one thing that she was still looking, you know, she dated off and on, but you know, these jerks that she dated, like none of them had her views on Christianity. And, you know, they didn't, they weren't what she was looking for in a husband. See, and I hear you telling me all of this, but in my mind, I think that, like, maybe he couldn't, it was like he wanted to take on someone else, but maybe he wasn't charismatic enough to do so and couldn't, you know, and so he was thinking more like he preyed upon her, like he was like, well, who, like, she was a mark. Like, this whole time, he was like, well, I know how she felt about me then. I bet she's probably still naive, still, so let me reach out to her with this grand plan, not like he was really missing her. But that he could get her. Exactly. Yeah. So that's um, like he remembered how she'd fallen for him. And of course, he's this master manipulator is what I'm hearing you say. Right. Yes. Yes. Like it wasn't like he He truly wanted to reconnect with her. He was in his. I'm looking at it. You know what? He's looking for. He's looking to have more children. And he wants the perfect malleable wife. And he knows from conversations that they had and from, like, stalking her on Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. that she's still this, you know, God-fearing Christian woman. 
Yeah, I bet he did his. I bet he did research oh. before. Oh, yeah. He just called her. There, up there are a lot of things that are touched on in this case that I really wish I could find more information on, and I'll talk about one of those in a few minutes. He was still strongly faithful um, as in his Christianity, and so that really drew her to him. And so they, she began visiting him in North Carolina, driving back and forth from D.C. to Durham. And I'm not sure how far it is. It's not that far. Maybe four or five hours. Maybe a little more. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. And um, he, when she got to North Carolina the first time, she was super impressed. Like, he lived in a really nice house, 2109 Pear Tree Lane, which is in a really nice neighborhood in Durham, North Carolina. Now, we looked that up and and our first taping of this and it was like a five bedroom three bath home very nice neighborhood yes it was like 3100 square feet yeah, three hundred ten thousand dollar home it's for sale by the way if you'd like to buy yes, it said it was in pre-foreclosure okay all right just know that you know uh, some horrific things happen there now she was impressed by his home i wonder if they have to disclose that i don't know if they have to disclose that don't i, think I thought they, they have, have to. to and i don't know if that's federal or if that's just like per state per state but I would definitely yeah. want to know, and I would be extremely pissed off if I found out I was living in a house where some really tragic, like, stuff went down. Well, I think that every home has its secrets, you know? like Yeah, but that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. That would, uh-huh. that would like, immediately yeah. be calling the real estate agent. We got to move. So, yeah. So, you know, he is, he's super kind. He's drawing her in. She's a lonely woman. She's, she's ready to get married. Uh, and he moves pretty quickly. So when she goes out to visit, she was super impressed by his home. Not only that, she was really impressed by his kindness because these other women who are living with him, four women and nine children, he says those women are his sisters. These are my sisters. They're, They're men, knocked them up and left them, and I'm here to take care of them. So she finds that as extremely responsible and kind that he would take it upon himself to be a father figure to these children and take care of his sisters okay so here's my question where were these sisters when they were in high school well he did come from a home that was you know had multiple half siblings and whatnot so who knows that story okay they moved fast like i said and she told her mom you know he asked me to marry him i'm going to be moving to durham with him soon and we're going to get married. This was, she started visiting him in June and she kind of, they, she kind of announced that like in October. They were going to wait until after the first of the year. They're going to wait about six or seven months for her to, you know, um, save money, finish things out in DC, do what she had to do. She was a security guard in DC. But she discovered in late November that someone had stolen her identity and was using credit cards in her name in North Carolina. In Durham. Which is a red flag to me. Right. She had like, no clue. I'm like, as far as I know, I'm not sure if she suspected anyone from the house. I don't know. That's a possibility that I just don't know. Right. That just right. seems, I mean, it seems like to me that mm-hmm. would be the first thing. And I'd be like putting on the brakes. But hey, why not kill two birds with one stone? Why don't I go to Durham where I can visit my love and then I can go to the police station and report this? I mean, mm-hmm. even if she did suspect him, she probably never suspected what would transpire right. though now i don't know that she ever did go to the police station to report this mm-hmm. what we do know is that she before she took off to washington D's, um i'm sorry to durham she met her sister in a washington dc parking lot to say goodbye and she's like you know i'll be back in a few days i'm probably going up there for a few days to a week 
you know, she had a tiny uh, suitcase with just a few changes of clothes. She took her Bible and she told her sister goodbye. I'll be back. A few days after she got there, she called her mom to let her know that she was okay. She'd be home soon. I'll be home before Christmas, I promise. But her family never heard from her again. The last that her family had heard from her was a few days before Christmas she called. That was it. Around the 20th, they, she heard from her. Now, they did call her number numerous times, especially Christmas Day. You know, this is not like Antoinette to not celebrate Christmas Day. Right, being the God-fearing person that right. she is and right. close with her family. Right. They did receive a few texts. You know, my truck's broken down. I have to get a job here so I can pay for the repairs. Um, but never phone calls. They never talked to her personally. Finally, um, you know, Pete... Pete would answer her phone occasionally. Oh, she's in the shower. She ran to the store. Oh, she's taking a nap. There was always an excuse why she couldn't come to the phone. But that's kind of weird, too. I'm going to get a job here four or five hours away from where my real job is just so I can fix my truck. I mean, you would think that somebody could help her financially or, I don't know, just to, to me, that would have been a red flag right as a family absolutely absolutely and i don't know what her the financial circumstances are of her family but they knew that the more they pushed her you need to come home or you know she's an adult she she's already announced that she's going to marry this guy the more you push somebody like that the more you're going to push them away this is true this is true i just i i can't imagine like going to atlanta and then oh my car broke down okay well now i got to get a job here right I, i don't know it just seems so she was just kind of like they just figured, okay, fine, maybe she's just not going to come back. That They did receive a few texts, supposedly, from Antoinette saying that she was staying in Durham with him. She needed space. You know, just, just give me some space. But they suspected those texts. Like, they just didn't sound like Antoinette. They suspected they were fake texts. They did not sound like something she'd write. And she promised to call her family soon, but she never did. They eventually tracked down Pete's number somehow. They got his number, and they called him. And he's like, look, she's busy. She doesn't want to talk to you. She's fine. But by February, her family's like, you know, something's not right. So then they went to the D.C. police and reported her missing. Now, back in Durham, not long before receiving the call from Washington, D.C., a young woman accompanied by an advocate for battered women came into the police station with a really crazy story. Now, this is I've I've found a couple of different scenarios for what happened so i'm not sure which one's true so i'm gonna tell you both okay Mm -hmm. so in the first one she this woman comes to the police station in the second story i heard that when the police got the missing persons call they went to 2109 pear tree avenue and this woman answered the door now the police were shocked whatever case they were shocked by what the woman told them now it turns out that the young woman who turned to the police was a minor she was 16 year old zana thomas Now, she's the wife I told you about earlier. So she's his fourth wife. Oh, okay. Okay. Miss Thomas was a perfect victim for him. She'd grown up in foster care. She didn't have, um, no one really showed her the love and kindness. And so when this man was kind and nice to her, I guess, you know, that was kind of the end of it. I'm not sure how she came to be in this household. Um, I'm not sure she ran away from foster care and was taken in. I don't know the story on that at all. But what I do know is that she did grow up in foster care and she reported to the police that she had been physically and sexually assaulted by Lord and forbidden to leave the house. So she was held captive in the house and sexually abused a few times. By him? Or did she say by the women too? She said by him. Okay. All right. Now, in February 2011, 
they get the call from Washington, D.C., and they take the report on the missing woman, and they, um, and D.C.'s like, could you go by 2109 Pear Tree Lane to inquire about Antoinette McCoy? Zaina, the informant, told police that she and four other women lived as sister wives. So four other women, that would include Antoinetta. Mm -hmm. So Antoinetta was also held in that house. They all were required to call him Lord, even the children. He's Lord. It isn't, isn't it? Yeah. So all of them, the women and the eight children, now there are only eight children. What happened to the ninth child? Were residing as a family at 2109 Pear Tree Lane. She said she told police that Moses stayed in the master bedroom and the wives would get their turn sleeping with him at his demand. Now, I did watch like a couple of minutes of an oxygen show, which made it seem like it was like a sex harem. Right. I didn't find any documentation or police reports on that. So I don't know if that was just sensationalized or what. But he basically would um, sleep with his wives, whoever he wanted, at his demand. Now, she also said that the Lord was a God-fearing black Hebrew Israelite who sat at home collecting the paychecks of his wives. Of course he did. So his wives were working. Um, one of them would always be home to take care of the kids so that he could do his important things like brood on the couch and rant and rave about the black the black his hebrew israelite movement and the impending race war he didn't do any housework he didn't do much except for you know boss people around right okay now i did find some youtube videos where moses revealed the pillars of his faith he preached from the bible he looked forward to an end time where he's surrounded by servile women so he fed twisted doctrine to his wives he would tell them you're cursed to serve you are a possession get that through your head so he's very misogynistic. Now, he was certain the black faith would rise above all others. And in one video, he says, a lot of you hate order. He's talking to black people mm-hmm. themselves. He's like, a lot of you hate order. You hate instruction. And that's why the Lord's going to kill a lot of you. So it's only the morally upright, good fathers, good husbands who are going to make this, right? Ugh. He also preached that homosexuality was an abomination punishable by death. Now, Antoinetta was the opposite. She was God-fearing, but she also believed in God's love. Right. And she wasn't raised in a home where, I mean, her dad may have been the man of the house, but not And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if her dad was present. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. about that. Um, What I do know is that she did have a family member who was gay, so she did not have those feelings. Right. Okay. Now, all of the women living under Moses' strict rule were lonely and disenfranchised before they got there. They were easy marks. Lavada Quinzetta Harris was the woman in her 40s when she was in her 40s when Zaina went to the police in 2011. She had been living with Moses since 2004, and her father claimed that she was a follower, like she was easy, easily manipulated, very weak, um, very meek and um, quiet. She was always a loving, caring daughter, but then she fell crazy sick in love with Moses. And whenever he pushed her, tell her that he's telling her you need to get away from that guy, his daughter would just not call him for a while. It's more like infatuation. It um, seems like, like she thought she was in love with him, but. I don't know. I mean, I, just... she was definitely in love with him. She gave up everything to be with him. But I also think she was battered. Like she had that battered woman's. Um, I'm pretty she sure did. he led with a strict hand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like that she was very much in, beaten down and insecure. So. Yeah. Now, the father said that his daughter changed when she moved in with Moses because she became secretive and she wouldn't come around or call as much. 
He also um, had the other wife, LaRonda Renee Smith, who was the same age as him and Antoinetta. She had five kids with Moses. Golly. She had been with him at least five years. Now, Vanya, the mother of four kids, all of them but one were his, all of them but Jaden was fathered by Moses. So he had eight of his own kids. Now, all of these were described as good, religious, hardworking girls. They, um, some of them suffer from depression or other anxieties, mental illness. Zaina Thomas, as I said, was in the foster care system before she was taken in. And um, according to Zaina, Moses could not stand Vanya's child, Jaden. He considered the boy and his father to be homosexual because what kind of man deserts his wife and child? And he believed that homosexuality was an abomination deserving of the death sentence. I mean, that just is so cra- crazy sounding to to me to think, oh, well, I think that's what you said he was for. Yes. This four-year-old. I mean, what kind of, I mean, just to, I mean, so what, so what if the dad... Okay, let's say the dad was gay, but that doesn't mean the kid's gay. That doesn't mean, you know, I I don't. Right. It just seems so crazy. Right. So crazy. It also reminds me of that, um, what's it, Gabriel. Hernandez? Yeah. uh, Fernandez. Yeah, that was on the Netflix. Like, like just mistreated because of his mannerisms. And I don't know if Jaden had gay mannerisms or not, but whatever, he was four years old. Moses kept telling Vanya, get rid of the kid. I don't want him here. And so she did reach out to family and friends going, can you take Jaden? Can you take him for the weekend? It just blows my mind. Right? Um, I do believe that she contacted people in Colorado and said, can you take him? But then they never heard back from her. Whatever the case is, in October of 2010, LaRonda was watching the children when Jaden touched one of the other kids' butts. Like he put his hand on another kid's ass. She went to Moses and said, oh, yeah, that kid just touched so-and-so's ass. And though Moses became furious. He's enraged. He's like, this kid is a faggot. He's living in our house. He's screaming at V. He's like, I told you to take care of this kid. What? You know, he's, he's screaming. And he's like, now I have to take care of this. He's saying, you didn't take care of this sinful child. Now I have to do it. So what did he do? I'm afraid to ask. Zaina told the police that everyone in the house was terrified after this incident, especially the children. All the children were homeschooled. Like, they didn't leave the house. Like, the neighbors hardly ever saw anyone come out of the house. Just, you know, they saw women come and go or whatever. It's a prison. Yeah. So Moses is in a rage. Zayn had told police that he's pacing the floor with V's 22 caliber pistol. He's pissed. He's pacing. He's screaming. And he ordered two of the women to take the computer and the speakers out to the garage. Once they did that, he said, put it on the Lord's Prayer. And they would listen to it in Hebrew. So he had that music blasting, like, through the garage, through the house. And the next thing that they hear is a gunshot. So he had dragged the young boy, Jaden, into the garage and shot him. Okay, so was the music so loud that no one, the neighbors, I guess, didn't hear the gun go off? I don't know if the neighbors heard the gun, but everyone else did. They heard the really loud music and then a gunshot. So everyone in the house heard it. Right. At that, after he did that, he ordered the women to clean up the blood and get rid of the body. Just clean it up and get rid of it. The women took the baby 
and stuffed him into a small suitcase, Jesus and then they put it in the attic. They it, they left it there for a few days before the smell got to Moses, and then at that point, he's like, you need to bury the body. So he told them, take it to my parents' house, and they buried it behind a white shed in their backyard on Ash Street. I also want to say that they cleaned up the area where he was shot with, like, bleach and other cleaners. Mm-hmm. So it's just that one area they cleaned. Remember, Antoinette was not there in October. Right. She she would come and visit. She, you know, she never really, she just, her Jaden was out or whatever. But then she also started hearing rumors. This is after she came in December. The Zana continued to tell police that everyone in the house was terrified after the incident, especially the children, like I said, who were homeschooled. They lived their lives as usual, and then Antoinetta showed up in December. Antoinetta, remember, believed that the women and children in the house were blood relatives of Moses, but then she quickly realized that that was not the case. According to Zena, Lord became furious with Antoinetta because she told him that she could not have children. So what good's a woman if she can't have children? Because, you know, women are only good for that, right? Oh, wow. To clean up your bloody mess and... Um, to be vessels for your children. According to Zena, Lord became furious with Antoinetta because she couldn't have children, but also because she wanted to leave. I want to leave. I want to go home. Where are my tr- truck keys? She didn't have her truck keys. He had her there. Oh, he, wow. He refused to give them to her. So she finally one day just got really got up in his face. They got into a huge fight. He hit her. She managed to run out of the house. She asked for, when um, she escaped, she ran into the street where she stopped a car. She's frantic. She's like, I need to use your phone. And the car's like, what the fuck is this woman doing? And it kept going. Ugh. Then she ran to a neighbor's house and banged on her door. And the neighbor opened the door. And she's like, I, I need to use your phone. I need to use your phone to call Washington, D.C. I need to call my mother. The neighbor reported to police months later, months later, that Antoinette um, was frantic and wanted to borrow the phone, but she believed that Antoinette was in the home next door as a group home for mentally ill, and she believed she was just a mentally ill woman, so she didn't call police. But I don't care if I live, I mean, I have lived next door to, and I lived in an apartment complex where there was like a an apartment there where some um, intellectually deficient, yeah, what do we call it? But they were not. They they were they were special needs. Okay. Put it that way. Right. And they lived in an apartment. They were living on their own, and they had like a social worker that would come by and make sure they were okay. And they were different. I mean, like we would see them, you know, spooning each other, and half the part like half, they would be like on the grass and in the driveway. I mean, it was very weird. And then the girl, one of the girls, was caught several times having sex with people like between the buildings. Um, so there were people just taking advantage of her. Yes. But even if she would come to, if she would have showed up at my house, banging on the door, I need to call my mom. I need to do this. You know, even if I would necessarily maybe want them in my house, I would definitely call the police or bring right? a portable yeah. phone. It was the 2000s. They probably had a cell phone or at least a portable phone. It's like, here you go. I mean, I don't know. That just seems very. Right. She, she told police yeah. that, that the women came out and Moses and had to wrestle Antoinette back inside. It was a fight to get her back inside. And she didn't call the police. Yeah, it just seems uh, like you know, shame on you, right. neighbor. Not very neighborly. Definitely not. Now, Zaina said that once she was wrestled back inside, they dragged her inside where um, she was beaten savagely for hours throughout the day. Prayed over, screamed over, ranted over. Tortured. Tortured. 
At one point, Moses wrapped an extension cord around McCoy's neck and strangled her, just stopping short of killing her. So whenever she'd start to rouse and wake up, they'd beat her again or strangle her. So it was an all-day torture session. Just because she wanted to leave. Yes, but they were afraid that she would leave and tell tell on them because at at some point, and I'm going to talk about this later, she wrote that um, she wrote in her journal, Lord is going to kill me. I'm afraid Lord will kill me if he finds out I can't have children. She wrote that I've heard Lord has killed before. They'll kill me. So she did write that. They did find that numerous times in her journal. So she was scared. Yes. Now, V, it was also said, Zaina said that V, Vanya, also egged on the other women. She was like like Moses's right-hand woman. Like she would, she was just as, um, what is the word? Uh, bright, not brainwashed, but she was just as radical as he was. Okay. Okay. God, then these two people shacked up. Good right. Grief. So she was telling the other women, look, if, if we let her go, this is the end. We'll all go to prison. Our children will get put in. And, you know, remember that these are nice women. They don't want to have run-ins with the law. So later in the day, the Lord's Prayer starts blaring through the stereos again. And three gunshots reverberate through the house this time. Antoinette was shot twice in the top of the head and once in her right forearm. Bless her heart. Those poor kids. Right? You know. I so mean, what do you do after you kill somebody? I don't know. You throw a party. Oh, oh, you do? Yeah. So Moses invited some what people over. <laughs> he had he had some people over. Um, when most of the people left, it was his wives. Their children were still there somewhere in the house. Hopefully not in the garage area. Right. Um, but his mom was there. His brother was there. And his sister um, was there. All the people who had that were afraid of him. Right. And so he's bragging. He's like, oh, yeah, guess what happened today? So he shows them Antoinette's body. At at some point, I don't know if it was during the party or before, he also ordered the women to burn off McCoy's tattoos. She had a couple of tattoos, and he ordered them to burn them off so that she couldn't be identified by her tattoos. Yeah, I don't think that's how tattoos work. Right? It doesn't. (laughs) Because you can burn them off, but they can still identify them, like, under layers of skin, right? He's, he kept telling them, you did the right thing. You can't, you know, we had, we couldn't let that happen. I guess that even that they were afraid of him, but they raised him in that atmosphere of that black Hebrew Israelite. And I'm not sure if they actually did raise him or if it's something that he found on his own. Okay. Because, you okay. know, when you, when kids enter their teens, they start getting into things. Like we did that with that Birmingham, that guy um, in Huntsville, remember? Mm-hmm. He threw the party. He invited his, he showed them the bodies bragging about what happened. He's like, I have control over this household. People don't listen to me. They're going to die. And they were all laughing and having a good time, according to what Zaina said. I don't know if that's the case or not. Right, right. right. At some point, started wrapping her in trash bags and um, taping her up. And they put her in the garbage bin for a couple days until they could get her back to the house on Ash Street to bury her behind that white shed near Jaden. Do you know how pissed off I'd be if I realized my kid had buried two bodies in my yard? Right. But what are you going to do? Because, you know... He can beat you up. Now, the police hear this crazy story, all right? And it's crazy. They're like, this is crazy, but is any of it true? They decided to do a wellness check on Jaden Higginbotham. You know, we have this kid. Maybe let's just go check up on him. Well, they go and they knock on the door and speak to Vanya. And she says, I never had a child named Jaden. 
I don't know what you're listening to or who you're listening to, but there's no such child. Now, the police don't have probable cause to enter the house at all. They can't just go in. We need to do a wellness check. So they need to go do some investigating. And they realize, they go and they investigate further. They follow up with social services and they discover that, yes, Fangasis does have a child named Jane Higginbotham. They also contacted the child's father in Colorado and found out that he had not been in touch with the son or the child's mother, that the child had tried to get him to come pick up the kid and he was unable to do that at some point and hasn't heard from them since like October. Could you imagine how awful he probably feels? Yeah. And he does because he does he is interviewed at the end of the at, at the end of the trial later. But um there was always some excuse he said why he couldn't talk to his son. And then we saw this with Antoinetta also. Mm-hmm. So please gather have this information and they go knock on the door again. Look, you lied to us. She told she changed story again. She said, Oh yeah, I left him with an acquaintance. And this is like ring of Casey Anthony here, yeah. right? Yeah. Zanny the nanny. Right. Um she's I like don't I don't like kids with acquaintances. No, no. <laughs> I don't know the lady's last name. I just know the make and model of her car. Uh blah blah blah. The police got nowhere tracking down this lead yeah right? i imagine so they did get a search warrant that uh, that was issued on february 24 2011 but by this time all the residents at 2109 pear tree lane had been had just taken off they weren't living there anymore now they didn't pack their stuff they, they just, just left. left oh wow please snooping around so the police searched the house that first time they're looking for Jaden. That's what the search warrant is. So, again, you can't just take things that is not listed on the search warrant. Right. So, police searched the house the first time, and they determined that, yes, a crime had occurred at the residence. Because they found areas in the garage and in the bathroom that had been thoroughly cleaned in just one spot. It's not like they cleaned the whole place. Right. So, it was suspicious looking. It was suspicious. So, suspicious spots. They indicated that something had occurred there. They did find in the second search. So once they found evidence of a crime, then they had to go and apply for another search warrant listing all the things that they were going to see. Right, when they had more evidence. Right. So the second time, the evidence included a spent shell casing. They found latent biological and trace evidence like um, positive presumptive human blood, Mm -hmm. the presence of overt cleaning products where the crimes were said to have taken place. They sent some of those biological samples to the FBI, and eventually they came back in March, testing positive for McCoy and Jaden. No bodies. Police searched the residence again. They re- they seized receipts, computers, paperwork, clothes, shoes, a cord. They took the husky trash bag box. They seized photos and a lot more. They also found a journal, the journal belonging to Antoinetta, in which she wrote that she was afraid that Lord would kill her. If he found out she couldn't have children or knowing that she wanted to leave. So, again, that fear was there. Now, where did the residents of 2109 Pear Tree yeah. Lane go? Well, they went back to Colorado, where Vanya was from. They had contacts there. Now, while in Colorado, they were all living in a very cramped house. In April, so they weren't there long. Mm-hmm. They, they fled the end of October. And in April, they were both arrested on unrelated charges. I believe that she was arrested on marijuana. I'm not sure why he was arrested, Um, but they were released on bail that same day and they decided, okay, we can't stay here. We need to go back to Durham. I mean, to me, I'm not going to go where I have roots. Right. I would think if I was, if I had done something like that, because they're just going to know they're, 
Now, okay, well, let's go look okay, here. Because but he, remember, yeah. he has bipolar disorder, and he is not thinking straight. He's paranoid. He's Impulsive. anxious. Think about people in our own lives that we know who act like mm-hmm. that when they get paranoid or stressed out. There's no, it's just like, I got to get out of here. I got to go. Yeah. And then yeah. they just go. There's, there's no, there's no thought or planning about that. Yeah. Very disorganized. So the police in Durham say, look, can you just search the home for us? See if you see anything. And they did find a spent 22 caliber shell casing on the roof of the home that the family is staying in. And later that was traced back to V's gun. On top of the, like on the roof? On the roof. So I guess they would go outside on the roof to get out. I don't know. Okay. There was marijuana usage. They were buying marijuana, which in Colorado was, was legal at the time, I think, wasn't it? I don't know when. Yeah, I'm not I'm sure. not sure when it became legal in Colorado, but no, she was arrested on a marijuana charge, so it wasn't legal at that time. All right. So when they get back to Durham, they find them all living in a very cramped one-room house. So you have um, four wives, no, not four wives anymore, three wives. Yeah. The Lord and the eight children, all living in a one-bedroom home. Uh, what a nightmare. He was arrested on April 12, 2011, for kidnapping and assaulting Zaina Thomas, the, the, the woman. Yeah. Um, and at the time of his arrest, like I said, he lived in that small place. Two of his wives, V and LaRonda, were pregnant. Ugh. So... Ugh. Now we've got the ninth and tenth child on the way. Mm-hmm. Police want to charge him with the murder of Jaden and Antoinetta, but there are no bodies, right? They have no um, yeah. forensic evidence or anything. Oh, wow. Now there are no bodies, that is, until the police get a 911 call from a plumber on June 8th, 2011. So a plumber, um, the landlord at the Ash Street residence, calls a plumber because there's a clog. There's a major clog somewhere oh, wow. in the lines. He thinks it's in the yard. So, oh my God! Right, the plumber believes that the clogged pipe is due to a, a gar to garbage because he saw a black garbage bag sticking up out of the ground behind a white shed, and so he tells his coworker, "Run to the neighbor and see if we can borrow a shovel, shovel, a shovel." <laughs> so he um, he got to digging. This is um, he got to digging, and the more he dug, the bigger the bag got. Whenever whatever was in the bag smelled rotting. Ugh. So at first he believed it to be a dead dog, but when the man opened the bag, he immediately realized it was not a dog, it's a human, and he called 911. I'm surprised he opened the bag. I think the bag was kind of ripped. I don't think he actually ripped, he actually opened it. I'm thinking, so they buried the body in in February. No, they buried the body sometime in December because she she was supposedly shot around December 20th or 21st. Okay. It's kind of cold there, I guess. Durham. I don't yeah. know the, the mm-hmm. weather. Nobody in the neighborhood said, oh, God, something's dead. Something, something smells dead. Well, and it, if it was, and it does. It snows in Raleigh. In Raleigh. So. Yeah. So um, it does get very cold there. So it might not have really the smell didn't start to permeate until the warmer weather. Because the ground yeah. is going to be cold. Yeah. But let me tell you that I have smelled a dead body before, and it is, it is, like, and I smelled it outside. Actually, my son and I were coming out of Waffle House one day, and I'm like, yeah, that's the smell of a dead body. I bet you $100. And sure enough, about three weeks later, it was reported that a dead body was found in this ravine um, on the, just on the other side of the parking lot where we parked our car, and it was a homeless guy that was drunk and kind of, like, I guess passed out or fell and it was and he drowned. Oh my god. Well 
So you smelt it, and then three weeks went by. So you would think somebody else right. would. But, you know, I guess it could have been a dead animal, but it was so strong. Like, it was, mm-hmm. you know, like, roadkill has a smell. Yeah. You see something? something but this was, does. like, this was, like, exacerbated, like, 50 million yeah, times. Yeah, they say, like, yeah. supposedly, they, they being whoever they are, yeah. they say that when you smell a dead body, you know that. Right. What yeah. you're smelling. Right. Yeah. Ugh. So anyway, he calls 911 and of course the police come. They found the body. Now on June 6th, before they find the body, they found the bodies on what day? June 8th. On June 6th, two days before they found the body, Lavada Harris had asked her dad if she could move back home. Because remember, Moses is in jail. He's been in jail on kidnapping and assault, sexual assault um, for Zaina Thomas. Mm-hmm. Now, her dad's, her dad's agreed. He's like, you know, she moved in. She, on June 7th, she asked if she could use my car to go get some stuff from the house. She's moving in. And he said she had her car, his car all day. She left about 11 a.m. 10 o'clock that night, he's watching the news, and he sees her arrest on the news. Mm. And I may have the timeline a little bit off, because I'm wondering, you know, why they arrested her then. But whatever the case is, he was very worried when he didn't hear from her. And then when he realized that she was um, charged with murder, he read that all the wives were arrested or had a warrant out for their arrest. So seven people, including Moses's wives, his mom, and his siblings, were charged with the murder of 28-year-old Antoinette McCoy and four-year-old Jaden Higginbotham. Moses's children were placed in foster care by social services. Now, they were interviewed by authorities, and they told the authorities that they feared the Lord because he might do to them what he did to Jaden. Oh, bless them. Not to mention that there were, you know, he he lived by the rule of don't spare the rod. Right. God, he probably beat the shit out of them all well, the they, time. Well, you know, they were very, uh, yeah, they were not afraid. I mean, they were afraid to probably even breathe around mm-hmm. him. Now, at the time of her arrest, 26-year-old V, she actually wasn't arrested. She actually turned herself in, so then she was arrested there. Okay. She um, was charged with murder and accessory. After the fact, her bail was set at $1 million. She was seen as one of the, the major um, right suspects in Antoinette's murder. Her attorney argued for lower bail. He said, you know, she's got three children in a custody hearing right now. Well, I guess she, she should have thought about that. Right? Um, she's pregnant. She's got a good employment history. She's never been in trouble with the law. She's a pillar of the community. Well, pillar of the communities can still be evil bitches. Prosecutors announced that they're going to seek the death penalty in the two murders. There was sufficient evidence to support the charges because fingerprints belonging to Moses were found on the trash bags and on the clear tape that were securing them to McCoy. Also, they had the witness testimony they had blood evidence, signs of intense cleaning in distinct areas, shell casings, and other projectiles. Now, after the medical examiner released Antoinette's, Antoinette's body to her family, they held a memorial service for her at the Greater Pentecostal Church on her birthday, June Aww. 25th. So you're Moses's defense attorney. Okay. What would be your strategy in, in trial? Okay, insanity. Well, the first thing that they're going to try to do is they're going to try to badmouth Zaina Thomas. They're going to try to, what, my words are not coming to me today. Discredit. Discredit her, her testimony. They're saying, you know, she, she's mentally ill. She showed up at the police station with a mental health counselor. And the prosecutor's like, no, she showed up with a battered woman advocate. 
So no, she she's you know we can't discredit her. No. Um, they want records of why she was in the foster care system, and that has the, no bearing on it. It has no bearing on it. Plus, they don't want to prejudice the jury on on something like that. It had nothing to do with the assault, the kidnapping, and the sexual assault. The judge says, you know, well, the prosecutor said we don't want to prejudice her as an individual. Um, it would be unfair. So the judge said, well, let's just ask the prosecuting, let's just ask Zena if she would mind giving out the records. It never came to that because at this point they changed their strategy and they're going to go with the insanity. They're going to go ahead and take a plea because they don't want the death penalty. They don't want to go ahead and go to um, trial with insanity because they're not sure that that's going to work. But what they are going to do with sentencing is they're going to claim that it's the state's fault that this happened. No, the state did not. So what? So in the state of North Carolina, and I don't know if our state's like this or not, um, if someone is mentally ill and they have a warrant out for their arrest, or if anyone's on any kind of like welfare or anything like that, mm-hmm. the, your services go away if you have a warrant out for your arrest. So he had a warrant out for his arrest, so he didn't get his medications or anything like that. He wasn't allowed to get his health benefits. Right. I know in our state, it's just like you can't have like trafficking like it's drug offenses i believe okay because i'm not sure what the offense was but whatever the case was is he was no longer getting his medication so he was unmedicated during this um time but if all these women were working they probably could have afforded his medication well you know people who are like that generally think they don't need medication or they don't like taking the medication because of the side effects or whatnot. And this was just an excuse. Oh, right. you weren't taking your meds? Oh, and because of the... Oh, okay. Right. So they just It's It's interesting, it. though, that um, he was he was a raging lunatic until he started... Until he went to jail and they started giving him his medication. Then he was at court. He was very remorseful. He apologized to Antoinette's mother and said, I'm sorry what happened to your daughter. He didn't say, I'm sorry what I did to your daughter mm-hmm. or what I ordered to happen to your daughter. He said, I'm sorry what happened to your daughter... He, uh, he was so out of his mind. Who knows if he even really, truly remembers what he did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I, not saying giving him a free pass I, I don't know. I do. What I do know is that he has had some incidents in prison, um, gang activity. So he's still, I guess, anti-white. Right. He still has some drug charges. He did have a charge with a, uh, uh, a weapon in prison. So he's he's still kind of up to his ways, but yeah. at least maybe he's medicated now. I don't know. Maybe he's not as crazy. He did get two life sentences without the chance of parole. Good. The women as well. Now, one of the women, LaRonda Harris, turned mm-hmm. testimony against him. So she had a plea deal uh, that I believe she's with her children now. She did okay. serve. No, I mean, she served 25 years. The other women had uh, like 35 to life. Okay. And they're all in prison. All right. Yeah. So, well, so... So she got out early. She's still in prison, but I do believe oh, that she'll okay. get out okay. before the 25 years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, very, very sad story. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of compare him with mm-hmm. the other guys because to me, he is a cult leader. He um, he believed to have a direct line to guy, God. He believed that he was better than everyone else. I am, um, you know, I'm a prophet. He believed that God wanted him to have all the women, didn't care how old they were. Yeah, he manipulated those women into yes. cleaning up his mess. Leader is kind and accepting to people in need, so he draws them in that way. Mm-hmm. He can resort to violence or murder to get what he wants or to avoid interactions with the government or social services. 
and also convinces followers to defy the laws for the benefit of the cult. So, yeah, that's wow, my story yeah. this week. Wow. It was a... It's, a, it's, it's very messed sad. Up. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. I mean, all of them, all the stories we talk about are messed up, but that one's just really... Yeah. But I, I kind of wanted to show the other extreme, and I thought, eh, you know, why not? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. So thanks so much for listening. We hope you were just as intrigued by this week's murder as we were. We appreciate sharing our passion with you. We thank you for your support. And if you'd like to support us even further, please subscribe to our podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Also, you have to leave a comment. It could be about anything, but that's what helps with our ratings. Uh, helps push us up the charts. Now, you can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Yes, thank you. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us and not thinking that we were a little weirdos for our obsessions. <laughs> We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.